Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Rachel Lyon to explore the latest in global cybersecurity news, trending topics, and industry transformation initiatives impacting governments, enterprises, and our way of life. Now, let's get to the point. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of To The Point Podcast. I'm Rachel Lyon, here with my co-host, Eric Trexler. Eric, how are you? How was the beach this last weekend? I'm jealous. very, very busy. Busy? What did you do? Yeah, we had a lot of people over. Uh, well, it was good. It was good. Just busy. I had a, I have a ticket I have to take defensive driving for. So I signed up for what Uh-oh. they call comedy Between defensive TikTok driving. Between TikTok and your driving, we've got some <laughs> concerns here. What did yeah, you hit? This, no, I didn't hit anything. I was going 80 and a 60. I mean, uh, I would have said know. I would have I would have bet on about 112 and a 60, but OK. <sighs> Well, I, I feel like it should have been a seventy-five zone, and you know, so I'm, I kind of. I'm drive sure that's everybody says that when be. they break the law. <laughs> I feel like the money in the bank should have been somewhat mine, so we'll grab it. That's a that's jail time in Virginia, by the way. You can lose your license or jail time in Virginia for that. What eighty dollars is instant reckless driving? But we have a show. We can't talk about your life the whole time. Let's get the show on the line. I think we're going to call this Tomato Tomato, right? Tomato Tomato. That's right. Yes. So who do we have today? Well, welcome to the podcast, Christian Fellini. He is the co-lead of the OWASP Mod Security Core Rule Set Project, and he's an author of the second edition of the Mod Security Handbook and one of the few teachers on this subject. And I do want to open up. Well, first, we'll welcome you. Hello, Christian. Welcome, welcome. Before we jump into it, you can tell I'm excited. (laughs) Watch it, Christian. She's fast. This is a fast one today. Yeah, thank you for having me, Rachel Eric. It's cool. And, And you're from Switzerland, right? You're, that is you're coming in yeah. from Switzerland right now? Yes. Absolutely. I'm Swiss. Nice. So I want to talk about first what we love to talk about, Christian. We talked about a little bit before we got on. Tomatoes again? Background. No, well, I mean, <laughs> I, I suggest everyone go to Christian's Twitter feed right now and see what he made this weekend. This suck. Or I guess at this point, two weeks ago. It is delicious. I want to be invited Christian to Christian Fellini, F-O-L-I-N-I. <laughs> I can appreciate a good tomato like like many. I'm going to link to it in the <laughs> show notes, Maybe more so. Okay, yes. thank you. So y'all. I thought he was a chef. I didn't think he was actually in IT. It was really, <laughs> I was woke. But I love your journey, right, to how you got. I mean, you're 20 years in IT, but you started off, you have a PhD in, in medieval history, which I think is fascinating. And it's, I think on this a recent podcast you were talking about, it's not that different of a journey of, of a lot of people in IT. How did, how did it happen for you? I mean, I, I wasn't quite sure if we were going to study computer science, computer security perhaps, or history. And the, the IT people pretty much said, no, history is not a secondary branch for you. Uh, do math, do physics, but let's concentrate on this building here. And the history guys were much more open, said, whatever you do, make it as far away as possible, because this gives you a background that adds something. And you'll make uh, an interesting individual person who can contribute to our branch 
with their secondary branch. And that's how I did this. And then as it happens, when you have, when you continue studies and you do medieval history and you make a PhD in medieval and then you, at last you have to quit university or you'll die there, <laughs> then it's easier to find a job with an IT, in IT than, uh, as it happens in medieval history. I actually applied an open-air museum as a media relations contact, and they didn't pick me. And I was so pissed, I immediately went to, to be a system administrator <laughs> and specialized in That'll security show afterwards. Them. <laughs> yeah, excellent. I'm so they're still disappointed by that mistake. They <laughs> turn their turnstiles off or something. Uh, That's right. Well, and you're... Was your dissertation around medieval monasteries, which I, I think there was some really interesting parallels we were talking about before, kind of to what you do today. Well, but ho hold on, Rachel. Before we get there, I just I, I just want to point out for our listeners, right? The the CompSci program said, no, you need to stay in this relative discipline, math or science or something like that, right, Christian? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. And the medieval history team said. Get as far away from history as we as you can because we want you to open up your mind and look at parallels, which Rachel's question is really about. We want you to open your mind, right? Absolutely. Like, that really I feel, helps. I mean I feel like in, in cybersecurity, that's what we want. We want people oh, absolutely. from all disciplines to open their mind. They make us better. It's so disappointing a comp sci program, not all of them, of course, but a comp sci program would say effectively. Well, I guess what they're saying is we want you to go deeper, not broad. Okay. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, Rachel, back to your question. Sorry. I just, I wanted to make sure I understood that. Remember, we have a lot of people from different disciplines who are either in cybersecurity or want to get into cybersecurity, and they don't feel they can because they don't have a comp sci degree. They don't have a degree in mathematics or cryptology or whatever, and that's not required. No, absolutely not. I'd no. be dead if that were required. Okay, Rachel, back to you. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> so, but your, I think your dissertation was in the study of medieval monasteries. Monasteries, and, and yes. The way you were describing it and, and the parallels to, to IT are really fascinating. I'd love for you to share that with our listeners. Yeah, so I branched out at university and specialized in medieval history. Mm -hmm. And then I came back into IT. I mean, in the IT before I studied. And now ah. I'm bringing that background into IT and say, hey, how good I went so far away because now I can really contribute. And one thing I can contribute about once I realized how a medieval monastery is organized. I mean, you basically have the outside world. That's the internet. Then you have a wall around it. Right. And then you have the inside world. That's your enterprise with your assets. Yes. And then you need to have exchange between the two worlds because people will starve inside without that. Right. So they need to bring them the food or people come to the monastery to make donations, to offer them money. So they pray mm -hmm. for them. So they have services to offer. Uh, and then, hey, hey well, this, this topology that actually resembles an internet, a web server. Right. With a firewall around it, an application, and then you have payloads. and then, yeah, There's a lot of parallels around this. Wow. And then what, what struck me, a PhD, and I actually, I, I made a, uh, a section about that. How do they regulate this? And right. back in the day, you had regulation. How do we run our monasteries? And it's all written text. You have to do it as follows. Wow. The, the part in that regulation that is the biggest amount of like space in the regulation is the interface. 
right, the definition, right. how do the inside talk to the outside world and the other way around? And it's like today, if you do threat modeling, what is the most important thing? It's the interfaces. Right. It's always the interface. And wow. I thought, hey, this problem was really striking. And it took quite a long time for me in IT security to realize how much my education actually contributes Yes. That. I mean, there's so many people in IT, also in IT security, and they have this imposter syndrome where they sit around and say, hey, I must be the only one with right. a with a history degree in this room. But actually, it's quite a lot of people. A lot of people have marketing <laughs> degrees and stuff. Very few IT security. I feel like that was right. a dig, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. We'll leave the marketers out of the out of the uh, equation for a minute. We okay. can't hang. <laughs> <laughs> for our listeners, my undergrad is in marketing. But it is, Christian, you'll be very impressed. It's a Bachelor of Science in marketing, meaning it was very data-driven, very, very It is a science. It is yes. a science. <laughs> One of the few out there. <laughs> I should have gone medieval history. Oh, I tell you. Fascinating. <laughs> and I, I love that you're part of this company of St. George, too, and, and uh, working with museums and kind of re reenacting kind of events. Yes. I would tell a little bit. I, I'm sorry. I'm just fascinated with this. Can you just share a little more with our listeners and then we'll talk about OWASP? Uh, yeah, keep talking. <laughs> keep her off the road. It'll be safer uh, for everybody. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so we're a living history or medieval reenactment company. Yes. We go to to castles and make a display of medieval history for the visitors within the castle. And we demonstrate stuff. We do artisans. We also do a bit of military, a bit of medieval uh, gunnery. And then once the visitors leave, we get to have the castle for ourselves. So it's a it's a win-win for everybody. At the end. awesome. Yeah. That would be yeah. so It's a lot of fun. fun. And uh, I mean, I tried to make a living out of this defending medieval castles, but then defending web servers was easier. To be paid for. That's how I. Probably up. more lucrative too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and less risky. Less risky, I tell you. <laughs> Hilarious. I love it. I would love to see. Um, I would love to see photos. I would love to see all the the medieval items. It's uh, in Texas. The only thing I've been exposed to are like the Civil War reenactments, and so I knew someone that of had course, a, of a cannon, of course, and that's really why they went so they could see the cannon go boom, and that's that like kind of was it. But I mean, <laughs> guns are really cool when they go boom. I mean, yeah, it's good fun. So Christian, it's all the time. <laughs> I haven't had a chance to think about this, but you're you're, com you're comparing the castle walls, which we've we've you know we've talked about a lot. The monastery walls, I guess, probably yes. better description, with firewalls from a security yes. perspective. Yeah. And, and you always hear about it, you know, the castle walls. And as we move yeah. to the cloud, you know, and and we talk insider threat and different different components of cybersecurity, mm -hmm. the the old castle wall moat concept doesn't necessarily apply. Have we seen over time, and I'm going back to your history background here, where walls don't necessarily apply, like as we move to the cloud, it doesn't necessarily apply. Have we seen parallels there also? Like, Oh, that's an interesting, that's an interesting question. And I've never I, thought about I, it. I know we didn't prep yeah. for this one, so I, I, right, I hate right. to put yeah, you no, on the spot, but like, no as, as society evolved, did it evolve somewhere? Well, I mean, I guess we moved out of castles eventually as as as, as yeah. society developed and matured, is, is there a parallel there to the to the? I was going to say fragmentation, but but really, it's 
it, it's the democratization of IT as, as things are going to the cloud right. and they're going everywhere. I might, I might challenge the perception that we run without these walls in the cloud. I think people think they run without a wall or they can run, they can run without a wall around it without a firewall until they realize nobody's protecting them. Uh, right. They, they forgot about the web application firewall, the firewall uh, itself. I actually keynoted about these topics. Are there parallels between building castles and building server defenses? And I think, uh, when we defend web servers or servers in general, this is a fairly young discipline. I mean, we've been doing this for 30, 40, maybe 50 years, right. but they have been building castles for thousands of years. So we really yeah. know how to do physical security, right. but we're not very good at digital security or right. online security, cloud security. But what I think is really useful and what it boils down to is a multiple layers approach. And okay. this so can be the- OC layers, yeah. It can be in the cloud, it can be web application firewalls, but you need to have multiple security layers, whatever they are. If, it, if it's input validation, then that's great. You want to do something, you want to monitor your application as well. Maybe you want to sandbox something. And that's all different tools that give you security and they complement each other. I think that's a, that's a history lesson. That works. Putting all your eggs in the same basket doesn't work. And I guess that's also applying to the cl- yeah. to the cloud, yeah. Yeah, I mean, really, when change, I mean, the cloud is a different platform, but the concepts are similar. Yeah, it, they in have many to ways. Be. In yeah, many ways, they they're different be. but similar. Okay. Yeah. Okay, Rachel, I felt like it's I took good. the show off the road on that one. Let's uh, get back to eighty miles per hour, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, I mean, I would love to talk more about kind of, you know, mod security, but I, I would love to kind of back up and if you could share with folks the the OWASP project, you know, what, what you guys are doing there, because it's a really important mission uh, of what you're doing. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, we still have time for that, but it's a, it's a big, big box. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, good. So, so we run a web application firewall rules project. The web application file, uh, firewall as compared to network firewall runs on the application traffic. It really inspects the HTTP payloads. Uh, this is uh, championed by the PCI DSS standard, so the payment card industry standards, where you have to have this. And this is how this application firewall industry was started like 15, 20 years ago. And there is a thing, an engine called Mod Security, which is the dominant player, and it's an open source player. So mm-hmm. this Mod Security, the engine has been driving this. There are lots and lots of commercial projects, but like half of them are based on this open source engine. So it's a commercial integration of an open source project. Uh, But this engine uh, doesn't give you security by itself. It's just the engine. The interesting part is the rules that you implement on top. And people uh, talk about mod security, but what they really mean usually is the rules not the engine. The engine is right. commodity. It's just like a, a Linux kernel. I mean, right. It's not so interesting anymore these days. And so you need rules on top. And I'm one of the leaders of the standard rules project. And that has a very lengthy name. So it's the OWASP Mod Security Rules Project. Right. OWASP is an umbrella project or a foundation, the Open Web Application Security Project. And we're one of the flagship projects. We're sitting next to OWASP SAP, or the OWASP top 10 security risks that everybody knows. Right. And we're like on that level, one of these many, many projects. And we focus 
on this mod security engine and we develop rules that you then run on your servers. Uh, a lot of people have run this natively, uh, but I would say m m certainly more than half, maybe two thirds of the commercial web application firewall market is using our Apache license rules on their commercial products. All the big content delivery networks, uh, the cloud, WAF, the web application firewalls in the cloud, they have a CRS Coral set offering by now. So wh when you go to one of these and you check box the security option, give me a web application file, this is what you usually get. They make their own selection of rules. So we're right. like the base and they pick what they want to use, but we're the base project and we're kind of, there's, there are a few alternatives. So I, as a leader, I would say there is no alternative to our open source product. Either your commercial company, you do this from scratch yourself, which right. is really hard and really expensive, mm -hmm. or reuse our open source uh, stuff. What most people do. I think there are only the big, big, very expensive banking level web application firewalls. They have their own rules at their own engines. Right. The rest of the market probably uses our rules sometimes on native mod security, or they have long replaced the commodity engine with their own replacement because they like the rules, but right. they don't like the engine so much. Gotcha. But you're saying a bank would actually create their own engine? Or their no, own they rules? buy a commercial product. They buy a commercial and product that, and then use their own custom rules. No, the commercial product comes with their own rules, their own engine. It's a different breed. Right. But okay. I think that only exists, continues to exist in the top tier market. Okay, got it, got it. Got it. And and I think, um, what was it you guys, if I was reading correctly, there was uh, a 4.0, a CRS 4.0 release? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So what's different there? And I, and I think I saw something about a bug bounty as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that, they went into full clash together, the 4.0 the release and the bug bounty. So, <laughs> so yeah, we're, we're standard open source project. We did a major release 3.0 when we took over the project. It was dormant. We revived it in twenty. 16, mm -hmm. we made a big release and then we did incremental release ever since. And now we were heading towards 4.0. Mm -hmm. We released our first release candidate, if you will, in spring. Right. And at the same time, with all the new features, all the cool stuff we wanted to present to the world. And at the same time, a very large user, a big integrator approached us and said, Hey, look, we have a big bug bounty program and we would like yeah. to host a CRS, an OWASP CRS bug bounty in our platform. We pay all the bills, we pay the bounties, oh. but you fix the, the rules afterwards. Wow. And we say, yeah, cool. That That's such a great idea. Let, let's do this. Uh, let's close it, head down. Let's do this. And then we got over a hundred findings. And I guess that's what always happens when you wow. bump into a bug bounty program. I mean, we thought about this, we prepared this, right. but then the program really kicked off. And they they supported each other. Lots of hackers. It's a private program where the mm -hmm. hackers started to talk to one another. Have you seen this? Maybe we can dig into that. And then it piled up, and we were stunned. And it it just simply destroyed our release uh, plan for four uh, zero because we but of for course the we good. cannot really for for the good. I mean, yes. the, the resulting four zero will be much stronger because of that. Right. But it will be delayed apparently. So we welcome this, but it's a lot of work. <laughs> How do you prioritize? I mean, knocking down, I mean, 100 is crazy. How, how do you even attack something yeah. like that? Yeah, that's a good question. I wish I had an answer. <laughs> no, the, the, what, what we did, first we were stunned. And then we tried to group them by severity. 
And then we had a few ones really, really critical, whatever that means. And then a relatively low. Right. In, uh, conceptually, when you do a web application firewall, you can never detect everything. Right. It doesn't work. You just blatant attacks. Right. Please protect them. Very sneaky, very sophisticated stuff. Maybe slow it down. Maybe make them really hard. Mm -hmm. But we couldn't stop the NSA from targeting a, a standard server. Mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not conceptually not really possible with that tool. So having a bypass, somebody sneaking around our default installation, we have different levels of security. That, that is standard business. So that, yeah, we, we have discovered, let's fix this, let's move on. But then there are higher security bypasses would say, hey, if you go to top security and they still bypass our rules, then right. we really have a problem. Uh, so we try to group that. And then we realize we're really losing the overview here, or right. it's hard to keep an overview. And when we talked to this integrator before they launched the program, we told them, look, we probably have a capacity of two or three findings per week. Right. If we do a hundred a year, then that's a lot. Right, right. I mean, two, doesn't, two per, year, per week doesn't sound like a lot, but it pounds up to a hundred. And a hundred is substantial for a right. volunteer-driven open source project. Exactly. I mean, we all have our families and day job. Right. So when we got over 100, they say, hey, this is one year of work in front of our eyes now. What are you going to do now? And then we were in the good position that we have a bit of funds. So we mm -hmm. could pay one of our developers to work for a couple of weeks. Oh, wow. And he would standardize all the findings into curl requests. Uh. So curl is the command line, HTTP client, mm -hmm. where, he, uh, where you uh, do a curl call with the attacking payload. Mm -hmm. And then now we have a hundred curl calls that we should block. Right. And that is a lot easier than, than reading up a hundred uh, submissions in prose text. Yes, yes. Because he has, he has done the translation work. And then from the curl call, of course, we can do the test mm -hmm. run. Because we do uni unit testing and say, hey, look, this curl call has to be blocked. So with the curl call in our hands, we have a script that does the test for us in the special JAML JSON format. Mm -hmm. So we're getting closer and closer to the solution. And what we're doing now, we're, we're over the hill now. We'll, we'll solve like two thirds of them. And the remaining ones is we have to test and all we need to do is to define the pattern to detect it. Right. Usually we have an existing rule that should in concept detect this, but the rule has to be expanded. And these right. rules are regular expressions. They're really hard to read, but once you get the hang of it, then it's doable. Then it's, it's just a question of work. And a bit of experience, because with every detection we do, there is a risk of a false positive. We might block somebody trying to do a bank transfer to somebody with a funny address. Right. And then it's flagged as an SQL injection, only because that, that person happens to live at Union Street, 25 Union Street. And Union Street could be an SQL statement, a part of an SQL statement. Uh. So if the rule is stupid, it would flag that as an SQL attack. This, this is how this works. We need to pay really attention to that. It takes a lot of testing mm. and a lot of discussions, apparently. Right. And if you rush into this, then you make you destroy more things than you fix. Exactly. So it's not so quick. How, how did you think about, and, and I don't know what you did here, but you get these hundred and some findings. Obviously, they impact current customers in some cases, right? There were 4.0 findings, but if, if somebody was using 3X or below the findings could still be valid, correct? Valid, correct, yes. So, so how, did you, how did you process, how did you think about notifying the, the world, the constituency, 
hey, we have some potential findings or vulnerabilities. We're working to fix them. Okay. What'd you do there? Uh, <clears throat> there are multiple channels here. Uh, we announced this to the big integrators. Mm-hmm. We got into touch with them. The no- once we have established relationships, we reach out to them. Sometimes they respond, sometimes they don't. But by now we have a working relationship like most of them. And then we did one or two blog posts. People say, hey, look, this is what's happening. And of course, these are so many, we cannot do uh, a single big pull request. It's fixed tomorrow. So this is a rolling update somehow. And I know that a couple of users, they're following the development branch and then they see the new tests being added and, and they see the rule, uh, rule fixes. So they try to run on the latest edition of the rules. But in all honesty, for a lot of people, it doesn't matter so much because right. they realize the WAF is only one of our security components. We have okay. additional layers of security. We right. just go with the latest release and the CRS guys will do a new release one I have to update. So the mileage really varies. Mm-hmm. I would personally say people could pay a bit more attention to their WAF. And when we did the blog post, we got surprisingly little feedback. On the other hand, when Log4j came out last winter and we followed immediately with a updating blog, blog posts where we uh, explained our reasoning and what rule, how we're changing the rules to fix all the bypasses and the obfuscations, there was a lot of feedback. Hey, this is great. We went to production immediately because we saw this Log4j. Thanks for your rules. Right. And this also opened doors with integrators because they relied on our stuff and say, hey, what you're doing, you're really solving problems for our customers that uh, wow. build a lot of goodwill with the integrators for us. Was anybody internally arguing, we've got to keep this quiet until we fix everything? Say nothing? N- not, not in our project, not in our project. So in your, we, in, we, in your group, we, it, was, it was really, we've got to let the world know this is, this is open source. We've got to let them know so they know what the, the vulnerabilities are. They know, they know what they need to deal with on their yeah. side while we go back and, and jam on the hundred and some yeah. findings. Yeah, I mean, if if it's one or two big findings, and we have had this before, then it's a CVE, and we coordinate everything. But here it's just too much. We we have to keep afloat by fixing as we move along, and uh, we're more or less keeping people updated. Look, half of them are done now. Two thirds of them are done. We hope to bring out four zero later this year. Maybe it's going to be winter. It depends. Yeah. And then there are also one or two things. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, we're really an open source project without a company behind it. We're just a a group of people working together. And nobody has an interest here to keeping this secret. Right. Yeah. And in the end, you cannot keep it secret. It's contributing bug bounty hunters. I mean, they can release any day they want. Right. And yeah, there's different levels of sharing with community. Uh, We're sharing more with our sponsors, apparently. We're in a conversation with them. How would you fix that? Or they ask us, can we do something about this before you have a fix? Is there a workaround right now? Stuff like that. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I'm, I'm just, I'm like blown away. It's a volunteer group doing all yeah, of this yeah. <laughs> amazing work. We're doing a volunteer podcast, Rachel. Come on. <laughs> 
A little bit different. Little it's bit different a little there. bit different. Huh? <laughs> yeah, no, no, my, but, but honestly, you have a weekly rhythm. I mean, right. this is a commitment. And for us, it's the same. We're going to have a project chat tonight. It's going to be two hours probably. Mm-hmm. But we chew on issues. We're going to talk about issues. Who has a solution for this issue? Somebody has proposed a solution. But you guys think about this. Uh, I think the other guy who's not in the chat tonight, we should reach out to him because he had an idea. Somebody remember that. It's just project work. Right. And uh, what is good, we have a great bunch of, we have a dozen of developers. Uh, we're a good group of people, very diverse background group mm-hmm. of people. And that really helps that they come from all streets of life and they contribute to, to this common goal. And uh, it's really, it's an interesting project. Yeah, it's good fun. And, some and of why? them work with that and yeah. some of them not. So why do they do that? I mean, what brings all of you together on this cause, this crusade you're on? Mm. Okay. I, if, if I start with myself, I used to be contractor, consultant, a security con- consultant, and I specialized in mod security. Right. So in, the, in this engine and then the rule writing. And my reasoning was, look, this is really difficult to understand. Uh, I'm sure people hate this. That would be good to specialize in and people will want to have me as a consultant so they don't have to learn this themselves because I kind of feel that's cool. I, I like this somehow. I don't hate it as much as everybody else. So that's how I specialized in this. And then, of course, it makes sense at a given moment to drive this project because I have so much experience. I've been doing this for more than 15 years. And then, then there, we have one or two internet hosters. And one of them says, hey, look, we're a security-aware internet hoster. We do a lot of WordPress. And WordPress is like... They have weaknesses all the time. We're attacked every day. Yeah. And every rule that we can deploy saves me time. Right. If I have to reinstall a server, it costs me a lot of goodwill with my customers, a lot of resources. I hate this. If I can work with other people to protect my servers with an additional layer in front right. that protects my WordPress installation, they have their own security team, but we have a safety net in front, then that supports me. Right. Then we have somebody who's working for an integrator, uh, somebody's just interested in project. We have a, a female CISO, which is mentioning we're an open source project with female volunteers in it. She's a CISO for a Swiss company. Mm. Uh, we have a university dropout uh, who got uh, has found weaknesses in our project. Right. And uh, once he added us to his own portfolio, he has a CVE under his name. He doesn't have a degree, but a CVE wow. for a critical industry component and he got a much better job out of this. And he said, wow, we're helping people here. This is really cool. Okay. And then we, have, then we have a guy and he's a C developer. And she thinks I'm contributing to your understanding of the engine. Yeah. If we don't understand how this works, then I'm digging into the source code and tell you how it's working. So we really complement each other with different backgrounds. Yeah, I'm, apparently, I'm the only medievalist in this uh, group. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so this is what I contribute. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Now, um, what else I was reading about in the notes here about Trustwave has announced end of support of its mod security engine in in uh, twenty four. What does this mean? Uh, yes, for the group? so 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 Trustwave is a company and they own the engine. Gotcha. They did a merger. They they purchased a company twelve years ago and they got mod security on top together with that company and they used to develop it ever since. Mm-hmm. And 
I mean, I cannot really tell you why they want to end their support in 2024, right. but they made this announcement and then we reached out to them and the business talks and they made it clear they're not giving it away before 2024, right. but afterwards somebody can pick it up and do whatever they want with it. Wow. I mean, right now, anybody could fork it, mm-hmm. which is nobody did so far. Wow. The reasons for that, and I think there is not really so much of a necessity because it basically works. And there are alternative engines around. Commercial integrators have their own engines already. There is a new kid on the block called Corasa. It wants to become a drop-in replacement. So even if there is end of support, somebody will pick it up. Somebody might fork it. Or we're going to replace it with another commodity engine. The engine is not the interesting piece here. Because so many many people have replaced that already. Mm -hmm. It's about the rules. The intelligence is in the rules. Gotcha. And then you just need somebody to something to run these rules. Right. And that has been done dozens of times before. I mean, so for customers who are running this, yeah. the, the engine from Trustwave, they're pretty aware of it, I'm assuming. Uh, I guess uh, I've, I've had people reaching out to me. I've seen people uh, looking around, looking at this Carasa, this Carasa new engine gets a lot of support because of this, because people look, hey, we want to go away f- from this mod security base by 2024. Let's look into this Carasa thing now, so while we have time. And other people would just say, hey, basic mod security works. And if it stops right. working, then we'll find a solution. This is not such a big deal. Interesting. Um, and yeah, I- I'd say so. This is an established product on an established web server like Apache, where mm-hmm. mod security works best on Apache. And it's pretty, it's, it's done software. I mean, this incremental updates, and I think it's all a bit lazy here, but it's basically working. I mean, there's nothing to really fix. There's no urgency, no rush. Yes. Interesting huh. views. I know, I know. So um, shifting gears, I mean, it's just reading your bio, Christian. It's like yeah. you sleep. I mean, you you do so many things. I would love to hear more about, you're the program chair of the Swiss Cyberstorm Conference. Oh, yeah. Conference. Yeah. I mean, I've never heard of this. Like, what is this? I love the name. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The brand is so cool. Swiss Cyberstorm. See, you need a marketer. Somebody from marketing (laughs) hooked you up there. It's not all broadswords and shields. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, we're a a national uh, security conference. We're Mm -hmm. a one day uh, conference that's how it be- it's na- national i mean you don't travel to switzerland for a one-day conference and what right. we do is we bring the industry together in switzerland and we bring international speakers wow uh, so the size of the conference and the money that we have tickets are not really for free so a couple of hundred yeah. bucks uh, allows us to fly over people from the states for example mm-hmm. Or we have a guy from Ethiopia now uh, presenting. And we try to have a, a di- diverse background, people bringing in your idea. I mean, the superstars you can see in Switzerland like like every year. I mean, Miko Hippon, Bruce Schneier, maybe Kevin Nipnick. You probably see them every once, every one or two years in Switzerland. Right. Uh, but we're bringing people. We had Wendy Nather uh, keynote last year. Mm-hmm. And she's not, re- I think she wasn't known or she's not known in Switzerland. But she's such a great person. Everybody should know Wendy Nather. Uh, so hey, let's bring her over and change the pace a bit, bring new ideas to the country. It. I mean, it, it cannot be always the same people presenting. Mm-hmm. And of course, exactly. the local speakers, it's always the same 20, 40 guys uh, and women in Switzerland. So we spice this up because we have the funds. We can bring in people on an international level. 
and then it's a diverse uh, uh, conference in the sense that we have CISO, security officers, but also security researchers, mm -hmm. academia, students, and a lot of penetration testers, auditors. Wow. And for one day, you can bring That's them together and get, get them to talk yeah. to one another. If it's a longer conference, I really specialize more. If it's an attack, DEF CON style conference, uh, you get a different breed of people. But mm -hmm. we try to, to level this and have something for everybody. And then in the end, the talks are the inspiration to get a conversation right. going and And people talk about this in the hallway track and then they return to their job and say, hey, look, I've been to this conference yesterday. We should really look into this right. because this is a new idea and we, we need to learn this. Uh, to give an example, bug bounties were really unknown in Switzerland for whatever mm -hmm. reasons. But three years ago, there was a single bug bounty program on a national level in Switzerland. And, and no bank mm -hmm. did a bug bounty program in Switzerland. It was a no-no. Right. And we, re we launched this in Switzerland by uh, doing the motto, embracing the hackers and told them, look, if you have an application security project mm -hmm. and you're not doing a bug bound, you rely 100% on penetration testers, you're not really protected. Right. Because penetration testers are not able to find all the things that a bug bounty hunter might. They complement each other. And this could on immediately, like last two years with all these programs popping up all over Switzerland, government announced their big government-wide bug bounty now. It was only two weeks ago. And we kicked this off with a conference like that. So mm -hmm. uh, in our role in the country, we'd say we try to set the agenda right. and try to bring in new ideas and Love get it. people talking about this. And then sometimes it sparks something and right. sometimes people couldn't care less. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's that's cyber. All right. <laughs> and, and, yes. and this one, Christian, this year, it's in October, I believe, the 25th yes. of October, right? You're kicking it off. I'm just looking at it right now. But it's about digital identities and how to secure them. Yes, absolutely. So this you is our pick focus a focal theme. point, a topic. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's really like around Christmas, we take out the crystal ball. And then we go, hey, next autumn, what, what's going to be a hot topic in Switzerland? Right. What is ripe by then? And the electronic identity, it was a good guess mm -hmm. because we have a law and electronic identity that's being implemented right now. And uh, we already shut down a law last year. So it's not surprising to bring in a new law. And we, we guess by October, this will be ready. This will be ripe for discussion. And it's working out nicely. Uh, so this is how we got up with that. Uh, and for 2020, 2020, like in early January 2020, we scheduled e-health as a focus topic. And then the pandemic hit. Wow. <laughs> But we were before the pandemic. And then we had to cancel the conference. And hey, this was, our pick was too good <laughs> for, for the COVID-19 uh, COVID exactly. pandemic. And we had to cancel. That was, that was really a pity. But we were spot on <laughs> that. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel, I'm I'm thinking on the 25th of October, I'm free. You? Yeah, I'm free. Yeah. I'm absolutely free. We'll take free. our press badges, maybe do a show from the show. Hey, come on over and I'll have you at the speaker dinner Monday night. Love it. <laughs> I would love that. I haven't been to Switzerland in ages. I used to work for Victorinox many years ago. Wow. Yes. <laughs> the, the Swiss company. Christian, you look know, at you that know, uh, you know, you're like, Victorinox is like the only Swiss company allowed to use the coat of arms of Switzerland. Right. Yes. 
They're like the yes. only ones. Yeah. Yes. Not only does really she drive <laughs> 128 kilometers an hour on Texan roads, at least she got caught there. <laughs> She's got that Swiss connection. That's hilarious. <laughs> and they were lovely. The Elsners were lovely. A very lovely family. And they, they're known to, to be a really nice company. Yeah. I've yes, heard that. Very lovely. A lot of people have worked there a long time and like, you know, second, exactly. third generation working there too. Yeah. I've yeah. heard that. Yeah. Glad so predicting the future. <laughs> oh, I love no. this. Oh. Yes. More we've crystal got, balls. Yeah. We've got digital identities and how to secure them this year. What do you think for next year? Like, what do you think is going to be hot over the next couple of years that people really care about? Well, that, I mean, predicting the future is, is really difficult. Yeah, but you already did it with part. COVID. Your time <laughs> yeah, was yeah, a little yeah. off. <laughs> but you were just taking credit for e-health. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm going to pull on that string a little more. <laughs> <laughs> I took a mouthful there. Yeah, I, yeah, we did. It's hard, it's hard to say. I mean, I think source code could be interesting or the human factor i think the human factor what is the human factor the, uh, social engineering perhaps maybe or how do you get people to write secure code this is not a technology right. problem it's a people pro yeah. problem how do you do that how do you recruit good people in it security i mean everybody has that problem how do you how do you make them like your company so they want to join it Right. Um, uh, so I, I think the human factor, but I mean, it's a teamwork. I cannot announce the 2023 uh, motto already here. Just but, looking um, for a scoop. But where, where are you uh, thinking? Yeah. Like, <laughs> what are the areas? I was really like, what are the big areas that that are on your mind that need <laughs> need help? Right. Digital yeah. identities. I think you nailed it. E-health probably should have been a year early. Five years yeah, early. yeah, yeah, yeah. Even better, but you know, yeah, but, but you know, but what we found out during the pandemic in Switzerland, the when they when they do their numbers, statistics, they do this via fax. Of course, mm -hmm. it, it's facts. I mean, who would need computers here? <laughs> so yeah. maybe w w it wasn't overly early. <laughs> it was. It was bleeding edge. Let's yeah. talk about <laughs> security in e-health because they're yes. only starting out, and yes. with the monkeypox, it's still facts. <laughs> well, I think you'll need it going forward. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think uh, agile, thinking about agile again, mm -hmm. I mean, everybody's doing agile now. Yes. And, and when you co collide with security, because it's so agile, uh, they, they, they postpone security. Uh, how, do you can, how can you secure something, keep it secure when you're constantly revising your code I think that would be interesting questions. We're, We've we're done having, a couple shows on that. Yeah, and I think it's that's, hard. that's it's it's really hard. And I think it's a good topic to look at it from different perspective. We have we have the CISO of CERN talking about that problem right. from his perspective this year. And if it catches on, if people enjoy that pro uh, that uh, speech, this presentation, then maybe we could do this in one of the following years. I think there is a lot of uh, research going into that. And, lot of thinking right. because five ten years ago agile was super cool and now people have like a hangover of this all, all this agile stuff and it's still not secure yes yeah. wow this is exciting this is an exciting future we're never never lacking for things to talk about or work on <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and we're never out of work in security yes absolutely no we're not 
<laughs> no, but I, I, I do love the the point you made too, though, about, you know, the human factor, particularly recruiting and, and getting that next generation interested in security and, and IT. And, and I, I, I love that you're able to share your story, right? I mean, it's, it doesn't matter how you get there and you don't need a degree, you know, to, no. to be successful. Yes. I mean, we've been left secure in the hand of the techies for 20, 40 years and look where we are. It takes people with a different background who understand this is a human problem. Yes. This is not a technology problem. It's a human problem. And techies are not necessarily good with human problems. Right. So you need sociologists, psychologists, history degrees, philosophers to really think about the concepts behind it and why it works the way it works. Why do humans behave the way they do? Right. And how can we make secure computing with the humans we have? Because we're not going to replace them. Absolutely. Yeah, we just did a show on what was that, Rachel? A couple of weeks ago with with Tony Sager. Yes. Yes. Right, formerly of NSA, and and Tony was talking about wizards, and he he does a yes. talk on wizards, which I found fascinating. He's now with the uh, the Center for Internet Security here in DC, but yeah. he talks about these wizards and how in in tech and cyber we want to everything's complex, and we want to we want to keep it because we we have the information, and it's hard as opposed to opening it up and sharing with everybody and bringing everybody in, you know, you don't need specialists, right? Well, you do, don't get me wrong. You need specialists, yeah, specialists. but we need generalists. We need everybody to understand what's going on. We don't need to keep the keys to the kingdom with just a select few, which is the way it really was back in the early days. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, I think it's so interesting what what comes out of sharing these problems and having diverse teams working on these problems. And they're out of the box solutions. They're like, hey, that actually makes a lot of sense here. Yeah, I fully agree with you. I mean, we need people to solve people's problems. These problems were created by people. They will be fixed by people. Absolutely. Yes. And And to do that, you need a whole of society view. You do. And I, I think to your point, Christian, too, right, there's a lot we could learn from history because let's let's be honest, right, these, you know, attacks or misinformation or, you know, all of these different things that people are doing today, they're as old as time. They're just being executed in kind of a, a different way. Uh, and so I, I think there's a lot that you can learn and having, you know, a background such as yours, Christian, is really fascinating. I think this helps. And piling up on that, what you really learn when you study humanities is what you work with incomplete information mm-hmm. or contradicting information, right. incomplete sources. And when you talk to techies, they go, oh, this is dangerous now. But when you go to the real world in the IT industry and then, hey, look, this is what you get. Make the best out of it. And they right, get really right. insecure. One as people, humanities background, hey, this is what I learned. I mean, it's always been like that. I've never complete sources. I mean, I've done medieval right. history. I have so much information. I've, my log file is so long. What can I make out of this? Right. What right. conclusions can I do with so much logs? And that is so helpful in IT, in IT security. Right. Because it, 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 it used your gray cell to really draw your conclusions or a minimum of information or balance contradicting information. Yes. And that's, that's humanity skills, not, not a tacky skill. That is such yeah. a great perspective. Yeah. It, and it a great really way is. to end the show because Rachel has to speed off <laughs> <laughs> to her next to her next meeting. <laughs> Sorry, Rachel. I'll, I'll let it go after you take the class. Well, you no, took the class. Well, I started the class. It's like five hours. So I did an hour. I, I just, 
I felt like I had to break it up. You know what I mean? And, and then I got distracted in <laughs> this other documentary. Anyway, uh, that's the wonderful <laughs> thing about online, right? <laughs> oh, it's online. You don't drive. You don't drive in these lessons. <laughs> Not for <No>. long. <laughs> uh, she will soon no longer drive. No, in, in the States, you have to, uh, if you get a big I, I speeding them, ticket, yeah. you can keep your license or lower your insurance Run. or lower the cost. I don't know what you're getting, Rachel. If you take corrective Both. action and a corrective action yeah. course is like a, a, I'm assuming it's a state provided course, Rachel. It is. Yeah. Well, state accredited course. Yes. So whatever that means. I mean, it's, I haven't had a ticket in six years, knock on wood. So I get to use it for my insurance. You and took I, it and six it years ago online. also? No, I lived in New York City six years ago, so I didn't have a car. So oh, okay, I'm making okay. up for lost time. Okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> Christian, the, the concept is to rehabilitate the offender. <laughs> sure, sure. So that yeah, they will I, not I make that. that offense again. It's not going to work, but she'll lower her insurance well, uh, this time. The problem yeah. is Wonderful. the second and third time, I don't think the course helps you anymore. Yeah. No, it does not. Then they go to not. loss of license, jail time, high insurance. I mean, there are a whole bunch yeah. of things that can help Rachel. Right. Decide whether she wants to slow down or not. <laughs> to continue on that bad, bad course. <laughs> I, I've learned my lesson. Thank you, Eric. I oh, learned my yeah, lesson. Yeah, yeah. Last time I got yeah, pulled over was for a front license plate issue. And the uh, police officer had a trainee with him. And he was asking me, hey, how, uh, how fast have you gone? <laughs> I'm like, I'm not answering that question. It was great. It was great. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. So... On that note, <laughs> Christian, thank you so much for joining us. This has been such a fun conversation. Really appreciate your time and really love your perspective. I, I think it's important that more people hear that. Uh, and it's it makes me very positive for, for what's ahead for security as well. Thank you very much for having me. That was good fun. It's October awesome. 25th, Swiss Cyberstorm. Cyber We've got I'll a dinner date. Yes, on Monday 24th with all the cool speakers and the CISO of CERN. I love it. I love it. A state, a state level dinner here for us, Rachel. We'll bring our press badges. <laughs> our press badges. Stop. <laughs> to all of our listeners, thanks again for joining us this week. And, and as always, you know, kind of tiptoe those fingers and double clip that subscription button uh, because you get this episode right in your email inbox and, and so much more. So again, Christian, thank you so much. And to our listeners, until next time, be safe. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts.